what we've been studying, discussing and studying is, is, is a, a phenomenon which I don't know how to deal with, so we've looked at the Alta Nevada. The request to see the Alta Nevada was based on the feeling that there's a little bit of a wishy-washy approach to this, to to Judaism as a whole. And the Chavrei Asher, the guys in the Asher, they said they want something slightly more extreme down the line. So the Nevada School of Musa has always been known for its extreme, extremism. We've started to learn the Sefer. And he's presented us with a very stark but compelling way and approach to Judaism. He begins by presenting the sin of Adam in a very novel fashion. He says as follows, what was Adam's fault? He was doing something which essentially was the more beneficial spiritual path to take. Go into the world, confront the challenges head on, rise above them, and in doing so, elevate your status to above that of an angel. Whereas, were you not to eat of the Eitzadaz Tevara, the tree of good and evil, you would remain removed separated and isolated from the temptations of the day-to-day world and therefore who cares if you chose right you really were never felt you were never tempted you were never seduced by the evil and therefore your ability to resist is way less valuable so Adam Arishan in his choice he said you know what I'm going to do I'm going to take the more preferred spiritual path and plunge myself into the world of darkness in order to gain light and that is Alton Vardok, as witnessed by the consequences of Adam's deed, was the worst mistake he could have possibly made. That engaging in the world is a duplication of what Adam did wrong. If a person wants to truly connect to Torah, you have to realize this rule and this rule foremost. The only way you can get any clarity in your mind is by absolute and total separation from a world which overtly and subliminally broadcast on a consistent and relentless fashion messages which are deeply contrary to the reality that we subscribe to. And if you don't remove yourself, isolate yourself and create a safe haven for spiritual growth, you will never, ever succeed in connecting. He compares it to a person that has no sense of the time, so he keeps on looking up at, let's say, the town clock to gauge how he should sort out his day. But what happens if the town clock has a faulty mechanism? And it doesn't go according to the correct time. So he asks someone in the town for the time. But what happens if no one has a watch that's set right? So he goes from pillar to post not knowing what to do. Says the Alta Nevada, that's really what we, the way of what he calls, calls the Derech Apsharos, the compromised way, where you enter into the world and you engaging in a dialogue with the currents that flow around you. He says, what's the point? What's the point? What do you gain from it? Inevitably, they are functioning according to a faulty mechanism. 
Now, just to bring this home, you notice, as we do, especially in modern times, Asha, the rapid change of moral priorities. Morality is so fickle that what was absolutely abhorrent 50 years ago is completely acceptable. And was acceptable 50 years ago, today is absolutely abhorrent. The obvious example is the attitude towards homosexuality. 50 years ago, if a person in the mental health profession would condone homosexuality, he would be dismissed from his position and he'd be called irresponsible. Today, if a person in some way indicates that he's slightly opposed to it, he'll be immediately dismissed. Now, what's going to be in another 50 years' time? Will there be a reaction? Will it go the other way? We don't know. But what we do know for sure is it will be very different from what it is today. Because morality in the Western world is not static, it's evolving. An interesting thing, I haven't seen the article, someone mentioned it to me last night. Does evolving not necessarily have a good connotation to it? It may, well, it may or may not. It may or may not. Do you, like do you want me to use the word devolving? What, I don't know, because when I, I guess when I hear evolving, I think of something... Going from a, from a more basic to a more sophisticated state. Yeah. So let me use the word changing. Thank you for pointing that out. There was a, a someone mentioned an article that was written uh, by a current thinker in, I believe it's in the Harvard Business School. And uh, I would like to get a copy of the article, but the thrust of it was as follows. It was essentially an, it was an article on democracy. And he pointed out that the founding fathers of America who, who championed the cause of democracy had as a given that the people, the constituents and the uh, people standing for election shared a moral code. At the time, Benjamin Franklin may have called it they were God-fearing and honest. And because they had that underpinning of a moral structure so democracy served a good cause because there was an assumption that the people who were voting and the people who were being represented were going to champion a cause which was correct it was serving for the community etc but if you take that same system of democracy and you implant it into society where there's no moral underpinning, the worst thing you can do is give it democracy. Because essentially what you'll do is you'll facilitate the worst people getting the power. So that's really interesting in terms of our model, modern concept where we've got incredible diversity in the world. You've got Islamic fundamentalism on one hand and you've got the most significant growth in religious affiliation within the American population which has jumped from 9% I believe 10 years ago to 25% today is none no religious affiliation 
So in the Western world, you've got this incredible move away, complete, complete um, desertion of religion. And in the Islamic world, they say the Middle Eastern world, which is spreading around the world, you've got this incredible devotion towards religious fanaticism. So there's this kind of this polarization in the energies in the world, which is quite fascinating. You've got this religious extremism, which is almost a caricature of religion. And you've got this openness, which is almost a caricature of liberalism, where everything is permitted, and on the other side, where everything is forbidden. But the precise, narrow view that I subscribe to, and if you don't subscribe to it, well, off with your head. So it's a really strange world that we live in. So now, if that's true, why do we care? Why do we need to engage in this, in this dialogue? Why do we have to justify? Why do we have to explain? It's a little bit... And again, I'm not saying that this is not a, a point of interest of how do you communicate the message of Judaism to an unaffiliated and un uninformed audience, but the question is as follows, what do you do? So, generally the thrust often in Jewish outreach has been to create an overlap between values that people subscribe to in the secular world and show those values are compatible with Judaism. So, that's why there'll be incredible emphasis placed on showing how Judaism is not sexist. Because Sexism is a negative, has a negative connotation in the Western world, so Judaism is not sexist. Now, it would be interesting to know if there would be a massive Jewish population in the Muslim world where sexism is probably a praiseworthy trait, would the cure of workers there show Judaism is sexist? <laughs> Just saying, you're like trying to appeal to like a, a, an audience that's been influenced by Islamic thinking, and you're going to say, in our religion, women have rights and they're equal to men, and they say, whoa, not the religion for me. <laughs> no, don't worry. In our religion, we 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 allow the subjugation of the. What would you do? What would you do? To understand the problem. The problem is when you start to explain Judaism in whatever relative terms you choose in relation to the society around you, you're treading a bit of a slippery slope. So what do you do? So what you have wanted to do is you want to describe Judaism not as, it, as you would like to hear it, but as it is. But then, of course, why did people resort to this way of outreach? Because, well, then no one's really interested. Because people generally are involved in thinking the way they think about life. So when you say, yeah, I'll give you a radical new approach to life. How about you think this way? They say, well, that's not the way I think. Goodbye. So I agree with you that there's a, there's a need to say, well, okay, don't worry. This isn't far away from the way you think. But then you fall into the trap of making Jews and something it's not. Do you understand the, the, the problem? So I'm not suggesting any solutions to the problems for outreach. But now it's process stage two. How do we now, let's say, that we're in the fold of Judaism? How do we relate to it? Do we keep on continuing to answer up, well, 
it's not problematic because even though Judaism supports this and the secular world doesn't support this, if you say this and you twist your thumb in this particular way and you scratch your beard by turning over backwards and lowering your head to your baby toenail, you can still get that good scratching. Would you just say, this is the way it is? This is the way it is. And you justify it internally, not externally. It's really the point. The point is, does the study of Judaism begin with an internal study or an external study? An internal study means that I have absolutely every kind of obligation to engage the full gamut of my cognitive abilities to try to fathom what the Creator wanted when He said to me, put on tefillin. But that's a very different kind of exploration to say, well... In the secular context, putting on a black leather box has a completely different connotation to that of the religious context. The whole notion of black leather doesn't quite resonate with spiritual sanctity. No, no. So, so do I have to start a kind of like answering up and saying, well, the truth is, you know, this is like really cool and, and you know, it's like it's... What do I say? I, I don't need to answer up what Judaism is to, 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 to the world at large. I have to understand to myself, what did Tefillin do? It's a very different kind of limit. You follow me? One is a limit inside and one is a limit outside looking in. It's like learning about the religion. It's not learning the religion. Yes, Ari? Maybe this isn't exactly the crux of what you're saying, so I might be off here, but I feel like you need to have some of that um, external perspective in order to, um, like, in order so that you won't have, like, cognitive <coughs> later, or like... You won't have this nagging doubt, like, what have I done? I've committed myself to a cult, and there's no reason why I should have, you know... Because, like, you won't have any immunity to outside ideas if you're not exposed to them, and then they'll, like, wreck you later. So that, that's a really interesting point. In other words... Again, what we're discussing on, 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 on is justifying our behavior to the secular world. And now you're saying there's a related point, which is not justifying our behavior to the secular world, but feeling intellectually comfortable with the decision. It's a different point. Okay. Because you can feel intellectually comfortable with the decision, even though you may not be able to justify many of the practices. So it depends on your, your, your need for intellectual comfort. If your need for intellectual comfort could come from two places. It could come from, which is, I suppose, in terms of Jewish tradition, it could come from the evidence that there was a giving of the Torah in Sinai. Now, if you approach Judaism from that perspective, if sufficient in the evidence amounts that the Torah was given on Sinai and that the words that are, were given then are contained in the text today, and the practices have been consistent throughout the ages, which requires, let's say, historical data and a process of figuring that, that all out. So then you can feel intellectually comfortable that you have something here which is really special. New question is, what is it? Then you can learn about it. That's one way of intellectual reconciliation with, or to make yourself comfortable with the decision. There's another kind of reconciliation which I think is a much more tricky one. And that is justifying this as a good way of life. And this one becomes tricky. Because 
once you justify this as a good way of life, it means that you've got some preconceived paradigm of, well, this is good. Now let's see if Judaism fits into that. So there's a higher thing that you're trying to fit Judaism into. As opposed to Judaism becoming the paradigm, it acts within a paradigm. And that's a very tricky thing. Because then it could come, you'll come to a point, if you take the first path, so then you may come to a point, point in Judaism which you find something which is really doesn't, doesn't sit well with you. So you have to deal with it and explore it. Because we do have a principle that Alta Nevada says is, that the ways of Torah are the ways of pleasantness. They're not meant to be uncomfortable, they're not meant to be strange, they're not meant to be harsh, they're not meant to be cruel, they're meant to be beautiful. So if you come to part of Judaism and it's not beautiful, then you should definitely say to yourself, this doesn't make sense because I know the thing is beautiful. But it's not going to say to you, well, therefore I ditch the whole thing because it doesn't fit into the paradigm of what I seem to be as beautiful. So that's why in terms of healthy intellectual evidence, the chain of transmission is a much better place to start than philosophically reasoning why this is a good way of life. And that also limits other things because often what will happen is people will say, well, you know, I was interested in Judaism, but then I met this rabbi and he, he smelt. So what do you mean? He smelt the coffee? So, no, he smelt himself. So then you, then you get put off. But if it's based on an event which occurred and has been transmitted for the last 3,313 years, so then you say, well, okay, what am I doing? And the card of the Torah says, people are born with a predisposition to do evil as well, and therefore he actually is completely consistent with the model. Unfortunate and sad, but not surprising. You follow me? No, not What about Robert Hirsch's way of So that's clearly wrong. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't. You can't mix. You can't mix engaging in the secular world with the, with the practice of Judaism. You have to isolate. Put yourself in a small, safe ghetto and keep as far away from the secular world as you can. He was a big tzaddik. He was a big tzaddik. So I'm, I'm being a little bit extreme in my dismissal of the good points that you're making. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying. I'm trying to present a particular form of argument which I feel will prompt us to think. The purpose of our share is not for me to tell you foregone conclusions. Okay. The purpose of our share is to rethink ourselves and rethink life. Okay. So I'm presenting you things to rethink. Right? Now the fact that you say there are other people that did things differently, that's that's interesting, but that's not relevant. Why isn't it relevant? Because I'm saying something to you. In our modern context what are the chances? Let's be honest. Who stands a better chance of staying connected to Torah and Avoda? The person that goes, goes to a, a, a western city from Manhattan to Munich and gets a great job. Now a great job today means if you want to get a proper job that you're going to make enough money to pay your from school fees, right? You have to work way longer than 9 to 5. 
9 to 5 is a myth. No one works 9 to, nine to 5, right? 8 to 6, if you're lucky. Usually 8 to 7, 8 to 8, 8 to 9, 8 to 10, deadlines 8 to 12. Correct? So what happens? So, but you, you can't, you're not, you don't live in the workplace. You have to commute there. So you probably have to like get on, on your bicycle, train, car, 730, 730, 7 o'clock. And you have to daven shachris. Are you davening at 6 o'clock? So when are you going to learn? Five o'clock? But one second. Just imagine, you're getting home at eight o'clock, you've got family, getting home between seven, eight, nine, you're going to learn at night, you're going to daven Mariv at night. So does that life support Torah observance? Chances are, chances are, you'll end up davening the quickest shachris you can find, you'll learn a bit on the train, your mind and the lion's share of your life will be devoted to your job. That's where you'll get your satisfaction. That's where you'll get, that's where that will prompt you, that will stimulate you. And maybe a couple of nights a week you'll go to your share and fall asleep in front of a safer. That's what you're putting the world to do. Speaking realistically, doesn't seem to be so viable, right? That's what happens. Sorry? That's what happens, right? So, if we want to be brutally honest with ourselves, so we have to say, listen, that ain't going. We have to look for a different derech. So people say, oh, you're not being practical, Rabbi. We live in the modern world. That's what's required. Yeah? Sorry? You don't make no money. So let's use as as an as an example, right? Look at the hundreds of thousands of people living in Israel who don't work and they have money. What percentage of people, in other words, what percentage of people are devoting themselves to, of the Jewish people, what percentage of the Jewish people are devoting themselves to full-time Torah study, and what percentage of Jewish people are working? 99.1%? So what do we need? We need need more Jewish lawyers, new Jewish doctors, Jewish accountants, that's what we need for the maintenance and the continuity of our legacy? We need new Jewish youth rabbis, or do we need people steeped in Jewish learning? Do we need more Jewish biochemical engineers? That's what the Jewish world lacks. People who are better versed in biochemistry, I ask you, Yaakov Mordechai, just as a random aside. Or do we need people that know Shas Bavli better? Shas Yushalmi better? Yekisha Min Hogim better? Yekisha jokes. I don't know if you can actually know Yekisha jokes better. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. You need, more of a, no, you need more people who are, who are already in the workforce or going into the workforce at one point to be st- to be doing both properly. You presented one model of 
a corporate finance trader, maybe, who lives that life. But would it be okay for someone who does work a nine till six? Find me a person that works a nine till six. And plenty of people who work nine till six. And they don't. And they work in the majority of my friends, bar two who are traders. If you're a trader, you're screwed. Okay, fine, fair enough. But anyone but a trader can work very decent hours and learn, you know. And what kind of jobs do they have? In the government. Lawyers in marketing. Um, I, don't, I don't know anyone Married with families? Where are they in the ladder? Right at the bottom? Fine, so they're... So right they're at the bottom? Working at the bottom, you're working harder. You're working way more hours to get So, and, and 9 to 5 is enough for them? Depends on their trade, but generally, generally yeah. I know marketing, generally speaking, you might as well. No, 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 I'm talking about American. Okay, I don't even. Maybe in England, I I, I doubt that. There's no. There's no. Not, I have. I I know. Like I, I don't I believe you. I don't believe. First of all, I don't think they're your friends. They probably wouldn't. <laughs> 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 no, but Eric Cicero, you can work. I used to uh, friends. Uh, you solution. can find an American job, like with American hours, or even a legitimate job here. Which right here is quite hard to come by. Then you don't have to pay for your kids. Israel has an advantage that the two major expenses that from families have overseas, which is school fees and medical insurance, are free. <laughs> so when you die, that's why a lot of Americans move to Israel because it's more financially viable for them. Because uh, you know when you've got a big family, imagine you've got ten kids. So school fees is one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. That's before you begin. So imagine how much you have to be making. Eh? Yeah, school's free. Girls is completely free and boys it's uh, $60 a month. Okay, gentlemen, food for thought. Let's, let's stop now.